Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is a recording of the Key Row Film Society, and today is going to be a bit of a... Um, we're going to be focusing a bit on Christian movies, uh, but before that, we're going to talk a little bit about... Um, we're going to talk about Quasimodo. No, we're not going to talk about um, the main character from the film, uh, or the book, sorry, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Rather, we are going to be talking about the second Sunday of Easter. Today is, this weekend, or today, as you'll probably be listening to this, is that day. It's the second Sunday of Easter. Um, and so that's the reason why you heard some of the music we, you heard. Uh, the second Sunday of Easter is, um, I don't have a lot to really say on this, just um, know that this is kind of the Sunday as you're getting ready, or hopefully you're going to church this weekend. It is the Sunday that <coughs> is famous for being a Doubting Thomas Sunday. Now, is it fair that we all title him and remember him as the guy that doubted? I don't know, that's up to debate. But... The reality is, is that he's not really complete, really doubting Thomas is even accurate. It'd be much more accurate to call him unbelieving Thomas because Thomas didn't really doubt. He had no belief at all. And granted, I know that kind of d depends upon your definition of the word to doubt. Uh, so that's going to be the gospel lesson this coming Sunday. And it's for that reason, I'm just kind of briefly talking about this. And, you know, it's still in the, um, there are some distinctive liturgical things, like, you know, the, the gradual's going to be, dis, is kind of merged into the Alleluia verse. But other than that little distinctive, the one thing, this kind of works as a very good Sunday to direct in to the, into the teaching, to, to the movie element of today. Because, like I said, we focus on Thomas, the one who demanded evidence that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so it is quite fitting, given the fact that the movies we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about um, uh, miracles from heaven, God's not dead, and God's not dead too. So we got three movies on the docket today. Uh, God's not dead too. Well, let's just say miracles from heaven is going to get kind of a short review and then God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2 are going to get a little bit longer. So with, with all that in mind, we're going to have the segue with uh, the trailer from Miracles from Heaven. Cheers. Cheers. Today, let's do Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. interest. Okay, listen to your teachers. Love you. Love you. It's a good love. It's a good It's a good life. Mommy! 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 I'm coming! Mommy! Oh no! When Anna got sick, I just couldn't understand it. Why was this loving little girl going through this? I think your daughter is lactose intolerant. Acid reflux. Everything looks okay. Everything's fine. Everything is not fine. There's something wrong with our little girl. Miss Speed, you need to I'm not leaving this hospital until I know what's wrong with my daughter. Unfortunately, the tests confirm that she's very ill. 
There is currently no cure for Anna's condition. Doctor, please, this is our little girl. I'm scared of mom. Me too. We're not giving up. Like a small boat on the ocean. We need a solution. We need it now. And we'll get it. How? By not losing our faith. How long have you been married? 14 years. Free her from this. Can you even hear me? baby girl fell 30 feet, she hit her head just right, and it didn't kill her, and it didn't paralyze her. It healed her. Yes. Well, that's impossible. This is a little hard to believe. There's a lot of people out there that are just looking for publicity. A lot of people think we're crazy. You either roll with it or you get rolled on. So that is the trailer for Miracles from Heaven. It's a movie about this girl, if you couldn't catch, I don't know if you could catch it from the sound. It's about this girl who gets extremely sick, and it's based on a true story. The girl got really, really sick, and so she went to doctor to doctor. They couldn't figure out what she had, and finally one of the doctors found out, and I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything because the trailer pretty much gave away the movie. And so they find out that she's got this really rare illness that there is no cure for. And, and so there's this, all this turmoil within the family. And it is a very emotional movie. It's very powerful watching. Um, it's hard, tough to watch this girl going through this. And, you know, you could imagine the pain and the sorrow of the mother. And eventually what ends up happening is there's a scene where the... So there's this point where the girl falls into the trunk of a tree and that girl you know hits her head she doesn't get a concussion in fact she hit, hits the ground just right and she's healed of her illness and she is fine and so that's basically the gist of the movie and it's you know the movie like i said it's got some pretty good performances the um it wasn't, the movie in and of itself wasn't bad. The main problem in the movie is, um, it's the theology that is carried into this movie. And that is what we call the, the prosperity gospel. And anybody that's um, familiar with the producer of this film, the producer of this film is a guy named T.D. Jakes. Uh, now, T.D. Jakes is a very prominent uh, pastor. Um, um, T.D. Jakes is a pastor whose net worth is $18 million. Is his estimated worth. Um, so, very, very well-off man. Um, to add to this... His church, in terms of size, I'm just kind of quickly uh, looking this up on the megachurch database. He's a pastor of what is known as the Potter's House. 
Um, I'm quickly looking this up. Uh, so T.D. Jakes, he's a pastor of a church that's known as the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas. His, his church averages 16,140 people per week. And uh, T.D. Jakes is, I should mention this, T.D. Jakes is not, he, is a, he teaches um, heretical teaching, namely that he denies the doctrine of the Trinity which puts him outside of Christendom. Though, <clears throat> and so, um, that gives you a little primer on him. And so I'm going to give you, I'm going to read, remember, so this is the guy that's published, is producing this movie, Miracles from Heaven. And I'm going to let you listen to um, some a bit of a message of his. And this is taken from Fighting for the Faith by Chris Roseborough. Um, and he's going to put in some commentary, and I like Chris Roseboro because I tend, uh, I'd say 95% of the time I agree with him. So, and this is a very, very good primer on the theology. This gives you a little bit of, the, of a window into the theology of T.D. Jakes. So here it goes. I want to go quickly to the book of Exodus. I'm excited to share with you. I've been working out of this verse all weekend. Mm. Now, keep in mind, he is at Lakewood. This is Joel Osteen's church. And I'm going to work out of it some more. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Exodus 4, 1 through 6. This is the commissioning of Moses. Now, keep in mind, um, this is a very important portion of Scripture. Exodus 3 and 4, the commissioning of Moses, you know, where God is going to send him so that uh, he can, so God will use him as kind of the visible guy on earth, while God is freeing the children of Israel from slavery. Let's see what he thinks this story is about. When you have it, labor to your feet. So you ought to come from a traditional church, and the church, they didn't take a stand up, they say, labor to your feet. And then when you sit down, on your way down, like you're going to California, so on your way down, Amen to your seat. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Uh, if you're looking for it and you're seeing stuff like Ephesians, you're going in the wrong direction. Do a U-turn and go all the way back. You're a long ways off. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Let me take just a moment and thank you for your hospitality and your kindness and and how wonderful it is uh, to be here. I very seldom leave home on a Sunday morning. I'm addicted to being at the Potter's house, but you all make me feel so at home and so loved. I'm just grateful to God for your hospitality. Thank you so much. You keep loving me like this. I'm going to get me a trailer in Houston and move on down here. Amen. Amen. Get me a double wide. Moses answered and said, but notice the text begins with and Moses answered and said, which means we're coming into the story like partway through, like we're way out of context. Yeah, if somebody's going to start a historical narrative and this is a one off sermon, they're going to start the story from a historical narrative, like parachuting into like a, like a snippet, like coming in, like 
rather than teaching a whole chapter like in the normal story, but they come in like towards the end of the chapter. You know, you you really have no idea what's going on. That's almost 100% sign you're going to have God's word twisted and you ain't going to hear the truth. Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee, and the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? Uh, notice, uh, T.D. Jakes is quite the thespian. Right. And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. <laughs> it became a serpent. Yeah, quite a gifted thespian. Wow, he did that thing, snake thing, like, creepily, easily. Wow. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tails. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the said furthermore unto him put now thy hand into thy bosom and he put his hand into his bosom and when he took it out behold his hand was leprous as now and he said put thy hand into thy bosom again and he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom and behold it was turned again as his other flesh and it shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice or the, or the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the waters of the river and put it on dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry ground. And Moses said unto the Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, because I am such a time as this who knew wow history's been waiting for some of us to show up I, wow boy some of us are really important probably not me but uh, some of us listen to this I mean clearly history yeah I've been waiting for us to show God I mean is now ready to finally reveal you to the world I believe that this is your destiny year yeah it's my destiny year yeah I'm, I'm really into density this is a moment in your life that God is about to activate. <laughs> I'm on a cackle there. 
Wow, okay, so who knew the story of the commissioning of Moses really isn't about God freeing the children of Israel from slavery? No, no, no. Yeah, the whole reason why God had uh, Moses pen that portion of scripture is so that when you finally heard T.D. Jakes teach on this, you realized that it was now time for you and your destiny to come to a head and, and for you to experience your destiny moment. Wow. What has been hidden heretofore, he is about to act. Somebody say activate. Somebody say activate. Oh, yeah, they're just eating this stuff up. Oh, is it me? Is it me? Am I fine? I, I might as well be the Messiah, you know? God is about to activate those things that have been hidden in your life. One more time, shout it. Activate. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh while I preach the word without... Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, the Holy Spirit will have nothing whatsoever to do with your twisting of the scripture. The, the Bible's about Jesus. Yeah, see, that's kind of the thing. Even in the Old Testament, is you know, it, Christ is there in types and shadows prefiguring the one who finally would arrive and, um, well, activate our salvation by dying on the cross for our sins. Weird to talk about it like that. But see, here's the thing, is that, um, yeah, it, it, like I said, it is all about Jesus. Jesus said, by about you and your destiny. Oh, no, they don't. I don't think T.D. Jakes even begins to understand the overarching plot line of Scripture, which means that all of those movies he's putting out there, those so-called Christian movies, because he doesn't understand what the overarching plot line of Scripture is, all of those movies ain't Christian, and they ain't actually pointing anybody to anything that's re even remotely true about the scriptures. You, I can do nothing. I am impotent without you. Incompetent. I have no ability. I am slow of speech and of wit and mind and nothing without you speaking. Yeah, so Moses is a metaphor for you. This place, great God that you are, until everything that is hidden is revealed and everything that is bound is loosed and everybody that is captive is set free until we sing your praises with fresh lips because we know what you have done in our lives. Have your way, great God that you are. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody who loves him, shout amen. So that's just a bit of it. That's, as you heard, you heard Chris Roseboro's commentary in between. Uh, Chris Rosebro is a very good show, Fighting for the Faith. If you ever want to hear and learn about the way that the scriptures are being twisted in churches around this country, Chris Rosebro's Fighting for the Faith is the go-to place for that. Just so you know, you might want to get a stress ball in your hand as you listen to it. But I think it is, he's, what he does is extremely valuable. I know that it's not easy to listen to all the time because... It will make you very negative, and it's very, it can be very weighing, but it is important to know about what is going on, the way the devil is just slithering in the church. So we listen to that, so you can hear a little bit about T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is, like he said, a very good orator, a wonderfully gifted speaker. He's got that big, booming voice that you just can't help but listen to him. So he's got that big voice, and I'm sorry, that was a really bad impersonation. But, so you can't help but listen to him. But you've got to listen to not only 
how how good and powerful the voice is. You've got to listen to what he is saying. And so the movie, um, so this, how does this all connects to that movie, Miracles from Heaven? Miracles from Heaven is a movie that he produced, and the movie is bleeding through with his theology. For one, one of the things you'll notice in the movie, if you go see it, is that God is mentioned a lot in the movie. But Jesus is mentioned only once in the entire movie. Honestly, if you were an atheist, or not an atheist, sorry, if you were a Muslim, and you walked into that movie, and you just happened to cough during the, the moment when Jesus was mentioned, you would be okay. And you would have been completely in agreement with that movie. Because the movie, I mean, there's so much of the prosperity gospel going in there that if you just get the right attitude, you get the right thinking, things are going to go your way. And there's this scene, there's this confrontation between the main character's mother the mother, the main character played by Jennifer Gardner, and these other women of the church. And these women came up to her and said, you know, have you ever thought about the reason your daughter isn't getting better? Have you thought about, is there some sin that you're committing? Or maybe your husband's committing? Or maybe your daughter? And so she gets mad and upset. Now here's the thing about that scene. T.D. Jakes is a prosperity gospel preacher. He preaches this idea that you've got to activate your potential. That you've got to have this right thinking and God is ready to activate you. And you know, you know, and he's preaching at Joel Osteen's church where he talks about discover the champion in you. The natural consequence of a church that teaches that is people are going to talk like that. The way she talked, they, get, they can get mad all they want. But that is prosperity gospel if you are telling people that the reason the way to get god's favor or whatever is you got to pray right you got to have that positive thinking you got to have a can-do attitude you've got to activate somehow or whatever that obviously the reason why bad things happen to you is because you haven't activated because you didn't have a positive because you didn't pray right. And you see throughout the movie where the mother is coming up to the girls and saying, what did you pray for today? Ooh, that's a good prayer. She's encouraging these kids to pray for bigger and greater things. Not, oh, I prayed for the forgiveness. I, I prayed, asked for the forgiveness of sins. I asked that Jesus would give faith to some such and such person. It was about what you could get for God. It's prosperity gospel through and through in that film. The story is powerful, I won't deny it, which makes it an extra dangerous movie because it has this powerful vehicle that is carrying, weaving within it that prosperity gospel that can be so deadly for the faith because why, what about that greatly faithful Christian who does have something bad happen? Why did it happen? Did they not pray right? Maybe they needed a, a huge group of people praying around the tree or something. Maybe that's why God didn't answer. See, that's not how God works. God does not promise that life's going to be easy because you're faithful. On the contrary, he actually says that your life will be difficult. 
listen to what it says in, um, for example, there's actually many verses you could go to for this, but I'm going to use 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it is. Um, and I just, I'm just kidding, I'm going to go to chapter 3. It says, it says right here, chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Hear that? Will be persecuted. It was a promise of scriptures. If you are faithful, the life won't be easy. The devil will oppress you over and over again. That's the promise of scriptures. Not what T.D. Jakes teaches. And not what this movie seems to profess. And that movie, as sweet of a story as it is, and I'm not trying to belittle the emotions but we're standing on God's word in the the prosperity gospel is a recipe for the destruction of faith in extreme cases is a recipe for suicide because why when things bad, bad things happen why did that happen if you're in the prosperity gospel the reason is is because somehow you did not activate God's favor so um, that is uh, Miracles from Heaven. We're going to move on to the next couple movies. We're going to move on to God's Not Dead 1 and 2. And so we're going to, before we get out, so with that, we're going to hear the God is Not Dead trailer, which I'll play here in a moment. You prayed and believed your whole life, and here you are. Explain that to me. What do you say to people that are offended by your show because you created Jesus in every episode. If we disown him, he'll disown us. When a 12-year-old watches his mother dying of cancer, a God who would allow that is not worth believing in. Life is really a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Name? Uh, Wheaton. Josh Wheaton. Philosophy 150. You might want to think about a different uh, instructor. Come on, man, you can't be that bad. Think uh, Roman Coliseum, people cheering for your dad. I'm Professor Radisson, and this is Philosophy 150. I would like to bypass senseless debate altogether and jump to the conclusion which every sophomore is already aware of. There is no God. All that I require from each of you is that you fill in the papers I've just given you with three little words. God is dead. It's the weakness. Something wrong. I can't do what you want. I'm a Christian. If you cannot bring yourself to admit that God is dead, then you will need to defend the antithesis. Think of Jesus as my friend. You think Jesus is God. I don't want to disappoint him. So your acceptance of this challenge may be the only meaningful exposure to God and Jesus I'll ever have. And to me, he's not dead. I don't want anyone to get talked out of believing in him just because this professor thinks they should. Mr. Wheaton, are you ready? We're going to put God on trial. Do you think you're smarter than me, 
Do not try to humiliate me in front of my students. In that classroom, there is a God. I'm him. This experiment is over. You get to decide who the most important person in your life is. Me, Professor Ramsey. But I have to do this thing. Like it's something that God wants me to do. I, I can't just turn away from it. You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Me? Or God? God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. his existence you know the truth so why do you hate him it's a very simple question why do you hate god god's not dead he's surely alive he's living on the inside so there's a god's not dead the first movie that came out uh came out a few years ago um it was a 2014 i believe was its release date um the movie was. You're gonna. I'm gonna straight up say this is. Before okay. Before I go into this, I I meant to put in a little prelude to all these talk about Christian movies. I got. I got to step back for a moment here. I want you to understand right at this moment that a lot of times the reaction I hear because I'm gonna straight up say this is not gonna be a positive review of this movie. I'm gonna be a little bit nicer to God's Not Dead Two than with the first movie. But a lot of times when I get critical of these movies, people say, well, at least they're talking about Jesus. And I say, no, not at least. I, talking about Jesus is good if what they're saying about Jesus is right. Of what, if what they are giving is sound. See, I remember, you know, I worked at a movie theater for about, over ten, for about 12 years. Well, I was going through seminary, undergrad. When I came home, I worked at a movie theater in Ankeny, Iowa. And when I worked at the movie theater, I had some co- we worked. I worked for most of the Harry Potter films when they came out. And I had some co-workers that were just diehard Harry Potter fans. And when those movies came out, they would just raise up a storm about how inaccurate it was towards the books. And it seemed to get worse with each movie. Same thing. People would kind of be that way with Lord of the Rings. I'm a comic book fan. I'm a nerd. I'll straight up say it. And so, you know, I see a movie like Fantastic Four or, um, you know, some of the, the first couple X-Men, especially X-Men 3. You know, I watch those movies. I just get frustrated by how much they ruin from the comic book resources, comic book sources. People who read books of these characters that they love, they don't, they're not happy when studios make movies and they just mess it up. We as Christians have this book that's called the Holy Bible that we believe to be the word of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, of the one who shed his blood on the cross and suffered and died for you and for me. And so somebody's going to go make a movie about him. We should be far more upset when they muck it up than a Harry Potter fan should be when they muck up Harry Potter. But sadly, we're not. 
He's like, we just satisfy ourselves. Uh, at least it's about Jesus. No. The problem is, is that they will mislead people. And the devil loves that Christians sit idly and don't care. As it says in uh, you know, that same verse from 1 Timothy that you just heard a little bit ago. Let me pull that up again. Should have kept it up because I didn't think I was going to use it again. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a little bit past what I would read. It says, or not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. As you notice, I, this is not the best of recording, best of quality. I admit to it. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accommodate for them, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your suffering. Fulfill your ministry. So, there's Paul urging, he kind of echoes this again in Titus, the importance of sound doctrine. I'm not asking for absolute perfection. And I realize you can't perfectly make a film about every iota of the Book of Concord, every iota of the, the, of the scriptures. And I understand they have to take some levels of freedom. Um, they have to flex a little bit. But we, and I, I don't have an exact a litmus test as to how much we have to allow and how much we don't. But most of the movies that are coming out right now are by far not passing the litmus test. And we as Christians should not be saying, well, at least they're about Jesus. We should be fearing. We should be frustrated. We should be getting sick of it. And we should be saying, stop making these movies. Start making ones that are actually faithful to the scriptures. Because this is God's word and it matters. And I would love, love for a good Christian movie. And there have been good ones. So do and. And I mean, this isn't even, and I'm not even addressing the fact that most, so many of the Christian movies are so awful from an artistic standpoint. Um, and if you're wanting to read a good article on this, there's an article that came up recently. The name of the movie is I'm a Christian and I Hate Christian Movies. This is on the Thrillist, Thrill List, which um, I thought this was a pretty solid article, pretty much going after the lack of quality in the art. Because people are learning collectively that if you want to be a Christian and be an artist, you've got to make lousy art. When some of the greatest art in the history of the world was made by Christians. And talking about movies that are, quote, Christian, and by the way, a movie does not have to be about Jesus directly to be a Christian movie. Just, you know, as Luther said, you know, talk about the doctrine of vocation. You don't have to put um, crosses on the bottom of the shoes to be a Christian shoemaker. A Christian, is a, shoe, a Christian shoemaker is a Christian shoemaker because the shoemaker is a Christian. So the same thing with the movies. If the person making the movies is a Christian, 
It's a Christian movie. Believe it or not, the Toy Story films, for instance, are Christian movies. The movie Inside Out that came out last summer, Christian movies. They're, they're directed by Christians. Um, you could even make a case that Jurassic World to some degree is. Because, well, the, the lead actor, at least, is a pretty strong Christian. So, I mean, it's not a Christian just because it's got explicitly Christian themes. As long as a Christian is making the film, it's a Christian movie. But, even still, there are mo explicitly Christian movies that have been wonderful from an artistic standpoint. You have movies like The Mission. You have movies like Ben-Hur, which is considered one of the greatest movies ever made in the history of cinema. You have movies like The Passion of the Christ. You have movies like um, The Ten Commandments. There are a lot of quality Christian movies out there. So this is its an embarrassment what has been going on with Christian cinema. And so we have to stop letting them off the hook. All right? We need to, and honestly, here's the truth, a Christian, a movie that is about, that is explicitly about Christian themes, needs to be held at a higher standard than movies are not. And here's the reason. Because when you go to a movie, and they, you go to a movie, if I go to two different movies, I go to a movie that's called Batman v, if I go to Batman v Superman, I'm going to go to that movie. I am not expecting to get any Christianity out of that. All right? And so I'm not going to go in there and get upset if they do not have a good Christian theme in it because that's not their goal. Their goal is to entertain about Batman and Superman. All right? But if I go to, say, the Son of God movie, which came out a couple of years ago, which is explicitly about the life of Jesus, my guard needs to be up because that is what matters the most. All right? And ironic, and see, here's the crazy thing, is the crazy thing is, is that if you see Batman v Superman, you say where that movie goes, without giving away any spoilers, that movie actually did a pretty good job of demonstrating the cross, some, some Christian themes, even though that was not its goal. So the thing is, it's kind of neat when you go to those movies and you're alert to the faith, if you're always discerning, you catch on to Christian themes where you don't expect to. But like I said, you need to hold these explicitly Christian movies up to a high standard. Same thing as like, you know, people get mad at stores for not saying Merry Christmas or whatever. It is not the job of the clerk at Walmart to spread Christianity. Their job is to sell me potato chips or um, a pack of socks or underwear or whatever. The job of the pastor is to proclaim Christ and him crucified. And if he's not doing it, he is the one that's held to the standard. That's his job. And so the same thing, so we need to learn who we hold the standards. For whatever reason, we're letting Christian preachers and Christian filmmakers off the hook. And we're scrutinizing people whose job is not to proclaim the gospel. Alright, so now that I'm done with that rant, let's deal with God's Not Dead. God's Not Dead is a movie that's... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a few... There are strengths to this movie, and there's sadly few. Um, a couple moments that I just want to point at... Um, Let's see here. And I know I had them. 
I had to go down a little bit here. Uh, he there's a, a there's two points. One of them is at the they're both towards the very end of the movie. Uh, there's a point where Josh says to the professor, who's played by Kevin Sorbo, and by the way, the quality of this movie is very much lacking. A lot of very iffy acting. Sorbo actually played a pretty good performance, I'll admit. Um, and so did uh, Dean Cain, uh, who's better known as Superman. Um, so there's a few good performances here and there, but for the most part, the movie was pretty weak on uh, acting quality and all that. Um, there was one argument I kind of liked where Josh made the case that uh, Josh Wheaton, who's the character, if you don't know the plot, the plot is this professor... Uh, put a, told every student in the class that they had to write God is dead and if they didn't you know they had to do this special assignment and that no one else had to first off this would be very easy to if this especially if this is a public university this would be very very easy to dismiss in the court of law it'd be very very easy to sue but let's just uh, we'll just forget that part. Um, and we're going to deal with that. One of the problems with God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 1 and 2 is both of them deal with some very high, high, some highly unrealistic uh, cases. And the downside when they do things like that is it belittles the real cases. Um, but anyways, I'll get to that later. But like I said, he says in there, he says to this professor that an atheist has no reason to be moral. And that's true. There is actually some very good argument to that, especially if you're an evolutionist, uh, because evolution argues <coughs> for is basically the foundation, fundamental thing of evolution is survival of the fittest. The reason something dies is because it's weak. The reason why we don't steal, the reason we don't murder, the reason we don't rape, the reason we don't do any of a number of things is not... Because it's right or wrong, but it's for the sake of the preservation of the species. That's how, that's atheism. Atheism has no, if you're a true atheist, there is no reason to be moral. Alright? You're not, in fact, morality does not, is without meaning. If an atheist could find a way that would be beneficial to rape, to murder, to steal. If they could find a way it would be advantageous, arguably they could do it. Now, I'm not saying that atheists are are immoral, because many atheists, most atheists, actually a majority of atheists probably are moral. But I think, I believe the reason they're moral is not because, is because of the fact that they're very much leaning upon the fact that they are created by God, and morality is written on their heart. And they grow up in a Judeo-Christian world, so those moral views that they so detest are definitely imprinted into their minds. And it is what keeps them from being absolutely awful people. It's definitely not the, because their worldview, if they were 100% consistent, there's no reason to not be good. To not, to, there's no reason to be moral. Um, another thing that I kind of like, there's this little moment where Mark, who's this, this um, angry businessman, which is Dean Cain's character, he says, says to his mother, who's got dementia, he says, you prayed and you believed your whole life, never done anything wrong, and here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. 
My life is perfect. Explain that to me. To which his mother says, Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Their sin is like a jail cell, except it is all nice and comfy, and there doesn't seem to be any reason to leave. The door is wide open, till one day the time runs out, and the cell door slams shut, and it's suddenly too late. I like this little conversation, this little statement of hers, because it's actually kind of similar to some statements of Luther, and because Luther talks about the reason why evil happens to us is it forces us, it doesn't let us be comfortable with this world. When there's suffering in this world, it reminds us that this world is not permanent, that this world is dying, it's sick, and it's going to go away. And so God allows us to suffer so that way we do not become overly comfortable. And so... This nice little, this little conversation between uh, Dean Cain's character and his mother nicely reflects that understanding. And that pretty much exhausts the good of this movie. The rest of this movie is quite problematic. Um, and this is, for one, okay, first part is the stereotypes. The movie is overloaded with negative stereotypes of people. You have characters in the movie who are, you have this, um, you have a student who is from communist China, so you have this mean communist, you have the Muslim father, you have a liberal blogger, and you have the bully atheist professor. Pretty much these characters are all characters that are expressed in internet memes around the internet, and um, they are the most common enemies of your prototypical right-wing Republican. And this is, and all this does is reinforce the stereotypes that people have of these people. And many people have never met a Muslim, never met any of these liberal bloggers or these bully atheist professors. So they don't imagine what they might actually be like and the reason they are who they are. And so this movie only reinforces stereotypes and prejudices that are hardwired within them. Now, a lot of the comments and statements you hear in this movie, and same thing with God's Not Dead 2, because God's Not Dead 2 kind of carries on these uh, stereotypes and these uh, uh, prejudices. Uh, it's not quite as bad, but it's definitely still going. And But the thing, the problem with it is, like I said, it reinforces these stereotypes. And they don't realize that, you know, like for instance, Muslims. Um, I'll admit I haven't met a lot of Muslims, but the Muslims that I have met have actually been really, really nice people. One of the nice, I still remember when we went on uh, a trip at, when I was at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. We had a part of, we had a trip that's called the Cross Cultural Immersion Trip, and um, a couple of the students spent the night with a Muslim individual, and he was one of the nicest people I'd ever met. And we met the an imam of the largest uh, mosque in the Western Hemisphere. And both of these people were just incredibly nice, incredibly friendly people. And it completely dethrones 
the prejudices that we have about them. And this movie, just God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead too, tends to reinforce a lot of prejudices that we have. The movie itself, God's Not Dead, is a title um, in response to a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche's quote was, God is dead. And he said it based upon an observation of the world that he saw. He saw the world around him. He saw, specifically, he looked at the Christians. And he looked at the Christians who were claiming that they believed in a God. But they acted and spoke and lived as if God did not exist. So he based, so he's saying to them, why don't you just admit it? God is dead and we have killed him. So that is the understanding. This is what God is dead means. It is, and so this movie takes the task to challenge God's not dead. It has, again, very unlikely scenarios I mean, for instance, the fact that every single person in that class but one would have signed it? I mean, this movie is taking place in Louisiana. Do they re- Are they really going to convince... Are you really sure that Louisiana, which is a red state, is going to get all but one person to sign that, that, that statement, God is dead? I'm kind of doubtful about that. Um, but, you know, that... That aside, uh, <clears throat> that statement, God is dead, their task is trying to disprove it. And I'm going to get to how this statement doesn't work. But before I get there, I'm going to deal with some of these moments. There's, uh, there's a moment here where they meet the, some of the, character, the actors from the people from the show Duck Dynasty. And this, there's one little quote that bugged me. Where he said that <clears throat> these words are written in red. So those words are important. Red letter Christians. I mean this is just sounds like it's nitpicking. But it's just kind of an important detail. The red letters are not more important than the black letters. Because all of it is the scripture is God's word. Right? Um, just a note. Because you have to remember that the words of Jesus are ultimately being recorded by the evangelists, you know, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, to some degree, Acts. And they're recording it, which, of course, Acts is written by Luke anyway. So they're recording the words of Jesus, and they're also recording the, the narrative. And so to say that one is more truthful and more important is not accurate. So you, you basically have to say that the fact that, you know, Jesus and and he, di- he bowed his head and died, is not important. What's only important are the words he said. No, the black and the red is important, all right? So don't put those words those together, and that's kind of what he did there. Um, I don't know if that's intentional, but that's kind of the way it comes off. Um, there's a statement in here, and there's a, definitely what you have, what's known as a, a decision theology, Arminianism, where the idea that you can accept Jesus into your heart is definitely pervasive in this movie, as well as God is not dead too. Um, there's one little point where the pastor says, he says, it is how the Holy Spirit interacts with us if we allow him to. The Holy Spirit does not allow, we, we do not ha- allow the Holy Spirit to interact with us. 
as if the Holy Spirit is dependent upon our will, if he's, you know, so weak and so helpless. No, he acts on his own accord. He's God. You're not, all right? The only thing you have, the only power you have is to say to the Holy Spirit, get lost. Otherwise, you don't have power to tell him where to move. And Because as it says in Scripture, the Holy Spirit moves when and where he wills. It's not up to you. There is a quote, and there's another scene where this kind of comes up at the very end of the movie. Uh, There's a scene where the... um, The professor... This is at the very end of the movie, so... You already know that I give spoilers away on these these things. Uh, the professor ends up, you know, getting hit by a car and he's dying. And um, the pastor, this this friendly pastor that everybody likes because he's kind of, he, he allows for a couple chuckles here and there. He's standing over the professor who's now dying and he says to him, God is willing to forgive your sins if you just accept it. Uh, the problem with that is the scripture does not say that God is willing to forgive his sins. Listen to, listen to what First uh, John chapter 2 says. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So in other words, Jesus' death was payment for all the sins. All the sins of the world have been atoned for. They have been taken care of. They've been paid for. The question is whether or not you receive the forgiveness, and the forgiveness is received by faith. But faith itself is a gift of God. As Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so, by the way, that's you know that goes into the fact that you cannot accept Jesus. And I said, like I said, this is an issue that comes up in uh, God's not dead, God's not dead too. In fact, what I found really ironic in the movie, there's a scene where this girl, Brooke, is reading through the um, Bible of her brother who has died. Um, and they hide, they g- glance at this verse, John, it's John chapter uh, 1, verse 13, verse 12. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it stops. They make sure that you don't get to read who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, you did not choose him, but he chose you. For God chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, you did not choose God, God chose you. So this move, the scene where he's saying, if, there is no if. If God is, if God is dependent upon you, you are no longer saved by grace through faith. You're saved by faith through grace. And grace isn't entirely grace. It's not a free gift. It's a gift 
on account of a little bit of charge, you know? And so this is... And I, I mean, I thought about that scene, but what if, if in a reality, in a real scenario, which is not controlled by a director, a, movie, a film director, what if that man died before you got done with if you were willing? And so there's no if. The very fact that he's thinking about it, he's saved. He's believed. Faith is not God. You don't accept God. He accepts you, all right? And that movie does not, it has problems with that. And God's not dead, one and two, and there's some significant scenes where that becomes a problem. Um, and so that's a major rejection we have to have as Lutherans uh, as, and as Bible-believing Christians. And, and it's very closely connected to the semi-Pelagian heresy, which denies free will, uh, which states that, you know, you can accept God which, again, that's saying that we have some good in us, just enough good in us that we can accept Jesus. Which actually goes into, I mean, the, one of the big arguments, the final arguments of the movie, is that God, in a, he wants us to choose whether or not to believe in him. And no, God doesn't. If God lets us choose to be saved, then we are going to choose each and every single time Away with me, God. Our choice in our sinful nature is the opposite direction. All right? Our sinful nature is so corrupt that we would never choose God, even if he gave us that freedom. God does not want us to choose. Because if we choose, our choice is always going to be condemnation. Another pro some of the arguments in the movie are also problematic. You have this point where they quote they talk about Aristotle arguing that um, there is no beginning to the universe. The universe always existed. I kind of have a problem with that because Aristotle is a guy that coined the famous argument of the unmoved mover, and Aristotle argued for a creator that the unmoved that everything in existence has a cause, and the beginning of those causes is the creator, the supreme being, a higher being, who is the unmoved mover. So he definitely believed in some form of a god. Um, I'm not going to quibble on that too much. But here's where the biggest, and, you know, again, dealing with the stereotypes, going again back to that, um, you know, that Islamic father, the father, they show the scene where the father is abusive. And in the new movie, they show an atheist father, the atheist communist father being abusive to his son. And they want to make a point to show this, and I think that's a little risky because atheists will throw that right at your face because they'll say, listen, what about all these stories, countless story after story after story after story of Christians doing that to their own children, especially when they come out as being gay and, or homosexual? Um, we have our own black marks, and I really think the movie is making a bad move of highlighting um, abuses from other religions. And yes, they happen, but I guarantee you when you're highlighting that twice in two movies, if somebody's wise, they're going to highlight that, they're going to show shine that light right back on the numerous occasions it's happened in Christianity. All right? Um, so here comes, though, the biggest problem I have with God's Not Dead, number one. 
The first movie is very much arguing from the idea they're very like I said, they're arguing against God is not dead. Which is actually what we call nihilism, which is the fundamental philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche. And the irony is that this movie the, the answer it finally pretty much gives to the question of whether or not God is dead to its answer to secular nihilism is Christian nihilism, which in essence is the same thing. It's just secular nihilism in denial. Number of times. <coughs> so here's okay. So you have the here's the statements. People say here, there's one point where it says, I feel like it's something God wants for me. Somebody says, um, Josh Wheaton says to this, um, to his girlfriend. Again, he says to the communist, the, eight, the guy from China, he says, see to me, he's not dead, referencing God. Again, Jumping down a little bit, there's a scene where this uh, the atheist blogger is talking to the um, he's talking to the newsboys, and they say, "Well, to us, they are real." And then the hymn, the the, the song, sorry, not him, the song you heard it in the um in the trailer. They say, "My God's not dead. He, my God's not dead. He's surely alive, living on the inside, roaring like a lion." What this is, is the subjective God. And the problem with that is when you have the, the charge of God is dead, and they're looking for concrete, objective proof that he exists. And your answer is the subjective. And even they're saying, we want to make it, you get to choose whether he's right or true or not. No, he's, he's, he exists whether you choose him to be, to exist or not. This is subjective Christian. This is what we call Christian nihilism. This is the meaningless God. The irony of God's not dead, number one, the first movie, is that it actually verifies Friedrich Nietzsche's quote. It gives veracity. Or gives credence to it. And so this is why, this, this is probably my biggest gripe with this movie. The very core of the film is destroyed by the nature of its arguing. When you keep on saying, to me, to us, to me, I feel, I believe, that's subjective, that's not concrete, that's not, that is not objective truth. Saying that God is, to me, God is de not dead, or saying to me God is as real as you and me, is like saying, um, that's kind of like saying, uh, to me, Abraham Lincoln was the president of the 16th, the 16th president of the United States. I'm like, so what if it's to you? Was he or wasn't he the 16th president of the United States? It doesn't matter what you feel or what your opinion, your, about your opinions. It's a factual statement. Either he is or he isn't. And the same thing with God. Either he is dead, he doesn't exist, or he does. 
It's not up to your opinion. He either does or he doesn't. And if it's up to your opinion that he's not God, you are God. And your God is dead and he's meaningless. And that is Christian nihilism. And that is what God is not dead. Actually, God is not dead, ironically, provides the argument for that God is dead. That is why I have a big problem with this movie. Um, to add to this, and so that's... I think actually I think that's a pretty good place to end with on God's Not Dead One. And and oh wait a minute, I take that back. There's one thing I want to point out. God's not dead in the first one and the second one. I cannot help but notice that this movie seems somewhat reluctant to call Jesus God. And I find that a little intriguing the way they talk. And I don't know if that's if they're if the peop, the creators of this films deny the divinity of Jesus or not. I'd have to do some digging. But there's times where it feels like they are reluctant. Now I'm going to get to God's Not Dead Two, which I saw last night, and I will say God's Not Dead Two appears to fix these problems, and they because because honestly, the the solution, the antithesis. To God is dead. It's not God's not dead. The antithesis to God's dead, God is dead, the antithesis is Christ is risen. That's the antithesis. Because Christ, Jesus, is, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived in the first century, is a historic person. And if he rose from the dead, that pretty much verifies the existence of a God. And more, more importantly, that he is God. That's the antithesis. And so, God's Not Dead too. very, very much sits into the argument that Jesus really existed. And they make many, many, many good arguments for it. They don't argue, argue for his resurrection. And I can understand why they don't, given um, the nature of the story. Um, because they're just trying to prove his historicity, not that he is risen totally. And I think they gave a little bit of arguments to that, but that was not their main focus. And they brought in some notable uh, historians like uh, or apologists like um, Lee Strobel, uh, Gary Habermas. Gary Habermas, in my opinion, is one of the best apologists especially when it comes to the resurrection. His book, Did Jesus Really Rise, is just a really, really good book. And so I do like that they kind of introduce these apologists. Um, you know, they have allusions to C.S. Lewis here and there. So I like some of the things they bring into it. Um, the, the plot line is very implausible. Um, again, because of their stereotyping. Uh, I'm going to... The, the whole plot line is that this teacher stood in front of her class and she was asked the question, um, isn't this what Jesus said? And she's like, yes, Jesus said. And she started quoting Jesus. And, you know, this broke into a court case. And I could not help but wonder, do, did none of these people that were in this movie, did none of them have access to Google because there was a Supreme Court case back in the 1960s that said 
that it was legal to quote the Bible for historical purposes, just as that character did. It was perfectly legal what she did. And there's, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to give away a spoiler. I don't care. And because it's not like I think it's a spoiler. Like if you, when you see it, like, oh, they did that? Wow. You're not going to be too ruined by this. Um, there's a point where they put her on the stand. And you kind of know this is going to happen. And they make a big deal about, like, can I treat her like a hostile witness and force her to go on? Again, did the judge not know the Constitution of the United States that says that you don't have to go on to the stand? All right, let me quote this. The Fifth Amendment of the Constitution specifically says this. No person shall be held to answer for capitalized or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of the grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia which in actual service in time of war or public danger. So, yeah. Yeah, so it says, again, no, nor shall be he be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. Or herself. In other words, so that whole scene was unconstitutional. I mean, I know it created a nice little drama or whatever, but honestly, the movie is completely refused to research Supreme Court law, research the Constitution of the United States. It's not hard to find. Get Google. Okay, sorry. If anybody who's watching this has any knowledge, this should be aggravating. Watching this movie every time. They say, what were you doing, Grace? This is illegal. You can't be using the Bible like that. I'm like, no, the Supreme Court said otherwise. And they have the ACLU trying it. And the ACLU, I looked this up on my own. The ACLU's own website. The ACLU. Permits for this. The ACLU would not carry out a case like this because their own website says that they are okay with use of the Bible in a teaching situation such as that. Using the Bible as literature or as history. It's protected by the Constitution. So this move that, I mean, there is such ridiculous moments in the movie for that reason. And then from a theological standpoint, the movie is just sheer mysticism. There are so many things talking about hearing voices from God. Um, so personal revelation, <coughs> which makes these people prophets. So, I mean, there are so many problems with this that movie. I mean, I liked some of the things it did. It kind of solved that problem that I had of the subjective God and God's not dead one. God's Dead Dead 2 brings in a whole new bag of problems, and it still brings back that God is not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. Living on the inside? Again, the subjective God. He lives inside of me. No, Christ is risen. Yeah, he's inside of you, but he's also everywhere, all right? So... And that's just the absolute worst words for a song... 
when you're responding to a demand to objective, hard evidence for the existence of God or the historicity of God. You don't go to the subjective. This movie is not good for teaching apologetics. I don't think it encourages apologetics. It encourages laziness. People are ooh, look at these great arguments. Awesome. People are lazy and it pretty much encourages it. So... That's what I have in those movies. So if you want to know my... Okay, my star reviews. I had three movies I reviewed today. So, first one was Miracles from Heaven. Miracles from Heaven, I'd give... Um, I'd give Miracles from Heaven, I'd give that two stars. Uh, God's Not Dead, I'd give one star. And then God's Not Dead 2, I'd give two stars. Um, that's just not quality. That's not talking about the theology of it. So there you go. That's my thoughts on these movies. Uh, they're not good movies, really. I wouldn't totally recommend really any of them. They are just overloaded with problems. So I leave you with that. Uh, hoping that one day we'll see a flurry of good movies. And you heard, I'm not just poking at every Christian movie. You heard me a few weeks ago say I'm okay with Risen. It wasn't perfect, but it was definitely um, ser serviceable. These movies, most of them, though, are not. So, and it looks like from the trailers of that movie, there's just more to come. So next week, I look forward to reviewing something a little bit more fun. With the opening of baseball season, I'm going to review um, Field of Dreams and I was, I didn't play the God's Not Dead 2 trailer, and I, I'm okay with that. And so I'm going to conclude this episode by playing something a little bit more joyous, maybe to get us ready for the open of baseball season, which does open tomorrow. Grotesquely swollen jaw Steve Sachs and his running